Hello, g'day, and welcome to the Travel Diaries and this awesome Australia destination special. It's been a while and I'm so excited to be back, especially with today's episode. This is one I've been working on for a while. Australia is one of the most mentioned destinations on the podcast. It is so loved by the people who visited it or lived there. And I, as someone who has never been but has always wanted to go, I found that during lockdown I've been thinking more about those big bucket list trips and my mind has just kept wandering to those sunny beaches of Australia. So I decided this had to be a destination special, one where we can all learn a bit more about this amazing country. So we're going to go on an Australian adventure. We've got names like Rick Stein, Rachel Koo, Dynamo, John Tarode, and many more sharing their favorite Aussie spots. And I've enlisted the help of Australian destination experts who've helped me put together a kind of tour for all of us to go on with tips and suggestions along the way. So let's get started. Normally, many airlines operate to most Australian cities. The majority have one stopover in the Middle East or Asia. And in 2018, Qantas launched the first non-stop service connecting the UK to Australia with its flights from London to Australia's westernmost city, Perth. And it's here that we start our journey today. So what can I tell you about Perth? Well, it receives more annual days of sunshine than any other Australian city. It has this great cosmopolitan feel, but with beautiful beaches, the vineyards and distilleries of the Swan Valley on the outskirts. There's Rottnest Island, which is home to the world's happiest animal, the quokka. And that's just a short ferry ride from the city centre. And the famous Margaret River wine region is just a few hours south. A quick hop on a domestic flight up the coast from Perth to the northwest corner gets us to Broome, a city in which the outback and the beach meet. Broome is the gateway to the Kimberley, which is one of the world's last wilderness frontiers. Let's hear more from the much-loved Australian chef, John Tarode. Uh, the Kimberley in Australia is the far northwest of Australia. It's a piece of land which is three times the size of England and has a population of about 14,000 people in the whole area. There's only a couple of places in the Kimberley you can build a house. There's Broome, which is the capital. And then there's a couple of little places, Kununurra, which is down a little bit further in the Ord Valley. Um, and there's the odd encampment here and there. And there's a couple of big sheep, big cattle stations. And when I say big, I mean big. They're about a million acres, million and a half acres. I think there's one which is Whoa. which is the size of Belgium. So they're, they're pretty big. <laughs> wow. Um, and so, but the Kimberley is an amazing place where I sort of realized that the sort of world as a as a whole is 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 just an amazing place. It, it's a part of the world which many, many years and millions of years ago, a part of Africa crashed into the top of Australia. And the result of that is there's what's called baoba trees, which are the same trees. Iconically, you'll see them in Madagascar. They're like a round tree that look like they're upside down. Yep. Well, they also appear in the Kimberley. They're the only other place in the whole world where they appear as the Kimberley in Australia. <sighs> Right. And so um, you've got this amazing world of wildlife, of nature, which has been com- every single year almost gets completely cleansed and gets completely washed away. And the people who have lived there for for centuries are the um, indigenous people of Australia. And they somehow or another have their lives and they've worked out how to, to, you know, their land to move here and move there and become nomadic and move around and get their own food and, you know, respect the wildlife and everything. But I learned a lot about myself because 
I sort of traveled. I traveled on on ships uh, across the coast, all the way along the coast for about 10 days. And I traveled in four-wheel drives and I did things I'd never done before. And just looked at the sky and looked at the earth and, you know, wondered what it was that uh, we were all about. And it was sort of quite a, I don't know, a sort of a, a bit of a, an epiphany, I suppose. It sounds otherworldly. Oh, incredible. And, and, and sort of slightly prehistoric in what we know, because there, because there's been no modernization, because there's no building whatsoever. And there's something called the King George Falls, where you have to get on, you get on a boat first, which takes about three days to get there. Then you get on a little tiny raft, and that takes about three and a half hours. And then you get to the top, takes another hour and a half. So you're literally on an all-day journey. And when you get to the top of this thing, it is the most amazing, amazing place. And there's an amazing piece of rock art, which is in Mun Park, which is near Careening Bay, which is named after a, a British explorer. And um, it shows all these pictures of um, uh, of sea cucumbers and uh, what looks like very different looking people. And it, the, the story apparently is that the Indonesians, used, the Chinese used to go to Indonesia. And then from Indonesia, they would actually come across and you'd be able to walk from Indonesia to Australia. And they would actually stay there for three or four months cooking, kicking, cooking sea cucumbers and drying them out. And then going back to China with them thousands and thousands of years ago. And the indigenous people of Australia were allowing them to come and trading with the Indonesians thousands of years ago. Unbelievable. But of course, nobody could, but they could only stay for three months because then the weather changed and nobody could live there. Wow. So it's amazing. Wow. Amazing. And if, for me, if anybody ever gets a chance, it is a destination that the whole world, although you, you only let about 5,000 people a year in because this, it's so small and, but it is an amazing, amazing place. And you, you can't get through most of it without a four-wheel drive. And there's beautiful parts of this, you know, sort of lovely old homesteads that were cattle stations. And there's big old properties which are now looked after by Indigenous people. I went I went heli fishing, where you jump in a helicopter and you go to a, a, a river and then you go fishing. And as we're fishing, we sort of watch this crocodile go down a little bit further and then, you know, grab an egret and <laughs> just literally take it from the side. I mean, yeah. it's... It is prehistoric and it is like something else. You know, they talk about Jurassic Park. It is absolutely like that. We're heading now to South Australia's capital, Adelaide, less than three hours flight away. Previously, it was considered a bit of a sleepy city, but Adelaide's now home to a thriving festival calendar and small bar scene. And it's also bordered by award-winning wine regions. You've got the Adelaide Hills to the east, McLaren Vale to the south, and the Barossa Valley to the northeast. It's a great city for which to head north to the Northern Territory via Australia's famous Red Centre, whether by road or on the famous train, the Garn, which I really want to do. En route is Australia's famous underground city, Coobapedi, which Peter Grunert, the editor of Lonely Planet magazine, tells us about now. Going to Australia was, was, was a, a, a huge moment for me. Um, so I, I wrote a feature about travelling in South Australia. It was, it was such a privilege to, to be there. Um, and so I travelled around and it was about meeting different characters who've chosen to live in this extremely remote environment and quite different environments. So what is South Australia like in contrast? Okay. to, and, and what are the major kind of cities that we might know in that part of Australia? So we flew into Adelaide. Adelaide, right. Um, and we quite quickly left Adelaide and we went up the coast first and foremost right. uh, to a place called Port Lincoln. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we went into the outback uh, we we met all these ranchers. 
We met some Aboriginal people who took us on a bushwalk. And actually, before I hype up my own adventurous spirit too far, I'm going to make a confession, which Go is we, we set up a, what I thought was a bush tucker experience. So I thought I'd walk for one or two days with an Aboriginal guide, and he'd show me you know, witch tea grubs and other, you know, other things that would um, challenge me. Yeah, Yeah. I'm a celebrity. Maybe I'd watch that (laughs) too much. So he turned up in a brand new Land Rover Discovery and, um, and he lowered the tailgate and he got out a bottle of wine and a picnic hamper and he said, I've baked you some scones and I've been out gathering. It's, it's the Kwandong season. So Kwandongs are these fruits that grow they have an amazing taste, uh, which well, I've never had them. So it's a they? kind of fruit um, which the, they grow in a tree. I understand, and it, I describe the taste as somewhere between a mandarin orange and a guava, if that means anything. Sort of hot, right. like a tropical fruit sort of taste. And he'd made jam from these. He'd baked these scones, so it's cream scones and Kwandong jam. <laughs> we sat on the tailgate watching the sunset and feasting on scones. So that's about as. <laughs> extreme as my um bush tucker experience went um we, we ended up in a place called kuba Pedi. so kuba Pedi is is well known for being an opal mining town and you get these people who live there who lease a plot and it's that whole thing about what is it to be a prospector to, to try and seek your fortune in this desert environment everywhere you go there are signs saying don't walk backwards because there are just individual very deep mine shafts sunk all over the place and it gets incredibly hot there of course during the daytime so a lot of these people actually have built underground dwellings so we actually went and stayed in a hotel which was underground and we met people who live in this environment without any windows Uh, yeah absolutely yes you you need the insulation of the ground they're quite deep underground some of them um that's how people what was it choose to uh, live and often don't make their fortune mm. that's the reality mm. uh, was, the was, hotel, was the hotel busy and booked up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was a pretty strange flight on the way there there were big signs about check in your explosives and handguns before you get on the flight you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of people carting dynamite out i guess <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Next, legendary chef Rick Stein on his time living and working near Alice Springs in the Northern Territory, the place where he learned the most about himself. Well, I, I, it would be Australia, really. I was, I was sort of fresh out of rather a sort of secure and um, family-based background, but my father sadly died around that time and I'd sort of left to go to... Um, Australia as a way of sort of running away from problems at home. Yeah. And it, it was You couldn't just, have gone much further. You could not. You could not. But it was as it was a rite of passage for me and I mm-hmm. was a rather a rather sheltered, not particularly I thought adventurous boy, and I came out a lot more adventurous and a lot more aware of um what goes on in the world because I not only went there, I then went on to New Zealand and then Mexico and the States and Canada and then back through Europe so I came back a different person really but it's Australia that I owe I owe my that was the most really really formative time I was like 19 
20. Oh, I spent wow. about four months out in the outback near Alice Springs working on a railway for a railway gang, which is basically people that looked after the track. Wow, very was, remote. It, it was very, very remote. Um, you know, I, I've never forgotten the landscape there. And um, every time I sort of see someone, it's funny, in a recent program, I went to Iceland um, and it, it sort of reminded me weirdly of the set the center of australia not obviously because of the temperature but because of the enormity of nature when you're in a place where there's nobody mm. and and the effect it has on you as a as a as a human being and i i know i've spoken to so many people that have been to iceland since then and said the same thing that yes. it, it's a sort of must go sort of place the, the big skies the, the big skies yeah. this sense of sort of gosh we are so meaningless really mm, amongst all of that yes so 1920 that is such a difficult age for somebody to go for anyone to go through a loss like that would you say then that your travel in australia was therapeutic for you Yes, it certainly was. I mean, and uh, I've always since then retained a love of Australia, which uh, continues to this day. I just I just love the people there. I love the country and I love their sort of um, can-do attitude. Um, and does travel still serve the same purpose for you now, would you well, say? I mean, it certainly does. And I mean, you know, I suppose I, I go to Australia. I, I reckon I've been well over 100 times to Australia now. And I, whenever I get on the plane, right... How do you cope with that flight as a... Well, I quite like the flight, actually. I mean, because generally, I tend to go with BA only because they've all been to the restaurant in Padstow. So there's always (laughs) one of the stewards saying, I was there at your place last week. And it's sort of, I don't know, it just feels more sort of natural to be on this sort of massive journey. And the flight itself, I really love because I, you know, I actually tend to listen to um, the radio or, or listen to music rather than watch films. I just relax. After leaving the ochre sands of the Red Centre, we head north to the top-end city of Darwin, famous for its balmy nights and outdoor adventures. Darwin has a strong Aboriginal history with the city's galleries and museums filled with incredible Aboriginal art. It's a gateway to the world-famous Kakadu National Park, which is Australia's biggest national park, the size of Slovenia, to give you a bit of context. Picture sweeping sunburnt gorges, sky-high waterfalls, and colour-soaked outback sunsets. From Darwin in the north, we now head to Queensland, east of the Northern Territory, a state known for good reason as the Sunshine State. Brisbane, its capital city, is known for its amazing outdoors lifestyle and the white sand beaches of the neighbouring Gold Coast. There's the turquoise waters of the Sundays, and of course, the Great Barrier Reef. Today, Lonely Planet founder Tony Wheeler takes us to the far northern tip of Queensland, to the Torres Strait Islands. Torres Strait, the islands that um, go between the north of Australia and um, Papua New Guinea. Right. Um, and um, there's 274 of them, four, wow. 12 or 14 with people living on them, but the rest uninhabited. And some of them are really, really beautiful. And they've got virtually no tourists at all, um, hardly anybody. 
Um, in fact, I have one of those really nice travel experiences that you have when you're at a place where there's no tourists. Um, I was on an island called Erub in the local dialect, or Darnley in English. Mm-hmm. I'd gone to the council office to get they got they all they all have a guest house where you can stay to get the keys to the guest house. And as I was going back to the guest house, somebody driving on the road picked me up and gave me a ride. And he said, um, what, "What else are you going to do while you're on the island?" You know, because they're no tourists, so he's interested to talk to me. And I said, well, I'm going to get, I'm, I'm probably going to walk down to the end of the island, it's not that far, to see the uh, the beach where the first uh, missionaries arrived. There's a monument there to the arrival of the light when Christianity came to these islands. <laughs> and this guy who just picked me up walking down the road said, he said, oh, he said, that's much too far to walk. He said, I live just beyond where your guest house is. And he said, and I get back from his watch. I get back from work at 12.30. He said, I'll leave my car in my driveway with the keys in it. You can take my car. <laughs> so, you know, he didn't even know my name. That's Isn't that great? So you can wonderful. go to places in the world today where people will pick you up walking down the road and hand you the keys to their car. So I did. I, you know, about one o'clock, I walked over there and... Yes, the keys were in the car, and he wasn't around, but I got in his car, and I drove it down to the end of the island, only about 10 miles, looked at the beach, came back, put the car back in his driveway. I put $20 in the glove box to pay for the petrol. But, you know, fantastic. And was it beautiful there? Yeah, that was was quite nice. Some of the other islands, one of them was just really, really beautiful, which I really wanted to see because it was so beautiful. And it's got some really interesting history. It's um, interesting islands. From the northeastern tip of Australia, we make our way south from Queensland to New South Wales, passing the famous Byron Bay. As we continue along the coast, stopping where so many trips begin in Sydney. To give us a taste of Sydney living, we hear from Rick Stein, who actually divides his time between the UK and living in Sydney, and TV chef Rachel Koo. How about a favourite city? Well, I suppose I'd have... I'd have to say Sydney, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm only saying I'd have to say it because I go there so often. What is it about Sydney that you love? The thing about Sydney, unusually, and there's a few other cities around the world, is it's on it's on an ocean. It's not on a river. It's on the ocean. Mm. And the other thing is that there's a lot of really lovely ocean beaches in Sydney. Plus, the main town is in a big estuary. So even if you're not on a surfing beach, you've got these fantastic beaches in the sort of like Sydney water area. So that there's nowhere really in Sydney unless you go out right deep out west where you're not close to the sea and where you can just go and go for a swim, which is one of my great delights. Yeah. Plus the climate isn't too bad. And the food is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I've witnessed that because I've been going to Sydney, what, since I was 19 these days the standard of cooking is so high but it's funny even in the 80s I was going there and I I sort of almost remember the time when suddenly chefs young people started cooking because at one stage in the early 80s I remember talking to a Frenchman who'd had a restaurant in Paris in Avalon in northern Sydney on a beach and he was running a um, general store like a post office with you know and I said got talking to him and I said well why don't you carry on opening a restaurant you do so well here and he said I can't get anybody to work in restaurants everybody wants to be on the beach and this (laughs) was like 1984 right by 1988 everything was different and people really wanted to, to to be cooks to be waiters and now it's very sophisticated 
a real culinary destination. Yeah, it is. Mm, Favourite city. I love Sydney. I have a soft spot for Sydney. Um, So last year I was filming there, another TV show. But uh, getting up in the morning, I'd get up super early before I started filming, head to the beach. I'd go for a bar class. uh, So do an hour workout. Then I'd do a couple minutes, like 10 minutes meditation on the beach get a green juice and I was like oh, this is the life you know I feel super healthy and fit and like really energized Sun's shining the sun is shining I was like I mean it does help the great weather and the food scene is like really diverse and vibrant as well um yeah from Sydney we now head three hours drive to the west through the blue mountains we reach a secluded spot called the Wolgan Valley. Today we hear from world-famous superstar magician Dynamo about his experience staying there. My all-time favourite destination. I'm probably going to say my favourite place was in Australia. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a place, it's about three hours outside of Sydney called Walgan Valley in the Blue Mountains. Oh, right. Okay. Um, So what's it like there? I mean, you are literally kind of taken out of the modern world that we are used to. Uh You know, like no internet, no phone reception. You're kind of living within nature. You're in, you know, I I stayed in some like, I guess like luxury kind of huts. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you've got your bare necessities. Um, and you've got, you know, and like swimming pool, it's like beautiful weather because it's Australia. Um, but you wake up, you know, with like kangaroos on your deck. I remember the place I went to, there was like 10 little huts. And so you, you, and they're all quite wide apart from each other. So you can literally kind of go for days without seeing anybody else. And what did you do each day when you were staying? We went horse riding, uh, went cycling, uh, went up to the mountains. Um, yeah, it was just really kind of became like one with nature again kind of went back to basics uh, it was about like it was like when i was um like when i was a young youngster and we'd go camping in the woods it just reminded me of that you know because we were just out there you know like with nothing but our own imaginations and just ourselves to kind of entertain ourselves and just you get to see what the beauty in the kind of the real world that we live in you know in the, the natural world that we live in that's out there yeah. um obviously australia is an incredible backdrop on its own mm. but this place called Wagon valley was the most beautiful place i think i've ever been to it's probably my most memorable holiday i was very fortunate to get to go there it was after i'd finished my australian uh, arena tour mm-hmm. and to kind of finish it off me and my wife just took a little took a few days you know to go and do something special so it sounds like you really needed that time to relax probably as well and it was like the ideal setting yeah it was it was the most relaxing setting and it was like it was just nice to almost be shut off from the outside world Mm. you know just often you know we'd spend nights just lying look staring up at the stars you know doing stuff like which does sound kind of like cliched movie stuff Sounds but so i guess romantic. most of our, well, yeah it really was but mo- most of our dreams if you think about it probably come from things that we see others do in movies you know so to actually kind of be part of our own little you know our own little dream there was amazing from the Wolgan Valley, we make our way further along the coast, rounding the southeastern tip of Australia and finishing in the country's second largest city, its sporting and cultural capital, Melbourne. And Lonely Planet founder Tony Wheeler tells us why it's his favourite Australian city 
That's why he lives there. I'm sure that people ask you all the time because you live there, you know, if they were coming to Melbourne, do you have any recommendations of one one or two things that they must do? Melbourne's very keen on its laneways and um, the little the bars that hang out and coffee bars and so on down the laneways. Um, you've got to go to, play, to places for the coffee. One of the things that Melbournians are very proud of is that Starbucks in Melbourne failed. There's a real coffee culture. It's a very strong coffee culture and um, very proud of the quality of their coffee and Starbucks does not cut it. So, uh, and that's the thing that Melbournians are proud of. So, you know, try the coffee culture, try the bars. There's lots of bars that are hidden away. You have to know which doorway to go through and upstairs. A lot of them are right out in the open, but hidden away bars. Um, Federation Square, which is the sort of center of, of Melbourne, which is a, it's got a gallery. There's two galleries and national galleries in Melbourne. The NGV, National Gallery of Victoria, the international one, which is a great gallery. has all the art you'd see in Europe, so you don't really need to go to Australia to see it. But the other one is just Australian art. Mm-hmm. And it's got a great Aboriginal art collection. It's got a great colonial um, Australian art collection. And it's got a great just Australian modern art, you know, all the phases it's moved through. Um, and, and a lot of temporary exhibits and so on. And, you know, I, I, in fact, that when I, ha- I have visitors from overseas, the first place I take them to is the, um, is the Federation Square, NGV, because there you are, you get the, all the eras of modern, of Australian art Wonderful. from, you know, from the Aboriginal era right up to today. Mm, that sounds great. It is great. great. tips, yeah. thank you. And lots of other things in Melbourne. It sounds like a really great city. Yeah, it's a city. On my you know, list. one of the things that Melbourne does, because, you know, it's, it's never going to have the immediate visual impact of Sydney. I love Sydney as well. I, I go there regularly. Um, you know, the, the harbour, the bridge, the opera house, Bondi Beach. You know, Sydney's got these visual things, which are, which are great. So Melbourne has decided at one point, you know, we, well, we can never compete with Sydney on that. So let's do other things. So Melbourne's much more the rock music centre, the sort of cultural centre, the Melbourne Writers Festival. I think I'm still, Sydney Writers Festival is very good, but the Melbourne one's better. Um, the, um, all the sporting events, you know, the Melbourne Cup is there, the big horse race, the grand final, the big football event, um, the tennis open. You know, yeah. all the sporting things are in Melbourne rather than mm-hmm. in Sydney. Even... Surfing, you know, where where is the Bells Beach um, Surfing Championships? You'd think, you know, Sydney, Bondi or um, the Gold Coast, you know, that, that'd be the surfing centre. But no, it's Bells Beach outside Melbourne. Hmm. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. We have it all. Oh, well, I hope you enjoyed that tour around awesome Australia. I'm joined now by the award-winning travel writer, host of the Wonder Woman podcast and Australia expert, Phoebe Smith. Welcome, Phoebe, to the Travel Diaries. Oh, it's great to be here, Holly. Thank you so much for having me and uh, and being able to talk about one of my play- favourite places. Uh, well, Phoebe, Australia is a destination that has been top of my travel bucket list ever since I was young. I've not made it there yet. I've never been, but I I dream of taking that trip of a lifetime. So what I thought would be really interesting as an Australia expert is to have a chat about my first trip to Australia and maybe the listeners are planning one too. How should I get started? What's the first time this trip to Australia? Where should they start? Well, I mean, you've got so many options with Australia. And I think the biggest mistake that most people make is thinking that they can basically tick off the entire Uh, country of Australia in one trip, which if you think about it, it's roughly the same size as the US or the entirety of Europe. So you would never attempt to go and do that in one trip. Um, But a lot of people for some reason think, oh yeah, Australia, that's that's my two-week holiday sorted. Um, Because it's absolutely massive and there's so much to see. And the problem is if you try and rush it, you you just you will hardly see anything at all. You'll just spend most of the time in a car or a train or jumping on and off planes. So um, I think, yeah, really sort of honing on what bits you'd like to see and know that it has endless potential to go back again and again and again. Mm -hmm. I mean, I lived in Australia. I was very lucky. I lived in Australia for a year um, working and living in Sydney. And then I travelled around. I had two months at the end to travel around. And I go back every year for at least sort of six weeks and I still have so much more to see so there's that much to do and and there's always new things happening there so um yeah you know there's there's so much choice depending on what your interests are so it feels like obviously there's a lot to see and a lot to cover for a first timer where would you get started well a lot of people think the obvious, don't they? So Sydney or Melbourne are the the two kind of places where people look to fly into. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, very iconic, great places to start. Um, but there are other options which sometimes can either be cheaper with flights or just sort of flip the perspective a little bit. So we've seen direct flights that started to Perth in Western Australia. And there's the option of going to Adelaide, which is the capital of South Australia. Um, there's Brisbane in, uh, in Queensland. Um, so 
there's different places where you can start, which could then make a nice loop for you. And internal flights are so regular and very good value. There's also a, the idea of doing a road trip, which can be loads and loads of fun. Um, and I've done that myself several times. And of course, the trains, there's a people forget there's this vast network of trains that go across, which are amazing bucket list experiences in and of themselves, you know, from the gone that goes north to south through the red centre, so the outback of Australia, uh, and links Darwin in the north to Adelaide in the south, to um, the the one that crosses um, from uh, west to east. So, yeah, it's, um, it, again, it's, it's such a big question because mm. it's so big. There's so many places to start. <laughs> well, I think that when I go to Australia, the things that I'll probably be most excited about are the landscape, the wildlife and the food and wine. Those are like the three things that when I'm looking, like scrolling on Instagram or like reading about it, that really capture my attention. Yes. Which So you're in total luck there because Australia has all of that in abundance yeah. and pretty much in every state. So you even probably need to narrow it down further to what kind of wildlife what kind of wine you like, <laughs> whether you want to see coastal landscapes, whether you want to see outback landscapes. Um, yeah, there's so much. I mean, I'll, I'll talk you through a, a few of my favourites. Oh, so, that'd be great. Um, yeah, so I, I think the the first time I went, I did the Queensland coast. Um, and Queensland's really great because you have obviously off into the sea, you have the Great Barrier Reef, um, which, you know, you can go whale watching, you can swim with minke whales if you go at the right time of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, Just seeing the reef itself is absolutely incredible. But then also you have the inland part of Queensland, which a lot of people forget, where you can see duck-billed platypus, uh, where you go into sort of a tropical rainforest, um, where you meet some really interesting people and there's really local stores that do really... um, wonderful recipes using uh, sort of bush ingredients that they've sourced. So Queensland in itself offers that and the road trip um, sort of side to things. Mm-hmm. Way on the other side, you've got the in Western Australia, um, you can do what I like to call the wildlife trifecta. So I did this a couple of years ago, where you can actually swim if you time it right for the, uh, the sort of July part of the year. You can swim with humpback whales, with um, manta rays, and with whale sharks, oh, all within a very small distance. The food and the wine in WA is incredible. And the landscapes, again, diverse. You've got the Ningaloo Reef, which is, um, you know, a smaller version of the Great Barrier Reef, but just as diverse in, uh, in marine life. You've got the wonderful wine that they grow all over the, uh, the state. And you've got a mix of cities, for, for instance, Perth, um, Or you can go really off grid and head to the Kimberley, which is one of the most breathtaking places in the world that I've found. Um, And then I'd I'd just like to throw out South Australia as well, uh, which is another one of my favourites, because you could go somewhere like Kangaroo Island, which is basically the last bit of land before you hit Antarctica. Mm -hmm. And it's just so diverse. It's like Australia in miniature. So you they have this wonderful trail there called the Wilderness Trail. And on it, um, you can see kangaroos, like within touching distance, obviously oh. don't touch them, but they're, they're really close to you. You can see echidnas, which sort of look like a cross between a hedgehog and a porcupine. You have an experience where you can go swimming with dolphins. You can see the seals. It, it, it's incredible. And again, all this locally made food, 
You have honey from the uh, from bees, which is the purest form of the Ligurian bees that you'll find anywhere in the world. And again, wonderful wine, craft gin, if you like a bit of that. Mm. Um, and easy reach from, from the city of Adelaide. So yeah, really, I, I could fill your whole podcast just recommending places and I still wouldn't have covered enough of Australia that, that you know, you'd want to see. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, how can I get to Australia soon? And, <laughs> can I move to Australia? It's like well, the, the thoughts are like ticking around my head. I mean, as you say, there's just such a diversity of landscape. And I, I also think that when after such a difficult kind of 15 months or so, when it comes to travel, open space and uh, and kind of vastness is actually very appealing and 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 when i picture the landscapes of australia they they're some of the most beautiful that uh, the world has to offer us oh they definitely are and, and so very diverse um as i said you know rainforests outback sort of desert you know the the when you go to somewhere like the red center and you see uluru and the the Great Barrier Reef, it really is one of those places where you're just constantly surprised and constantly in awe of what you see all around you. Mm. And if there was one thing synonymous with Australia that you would say is essential to include in in my dream future trip, (laughs) what would it be? Well, I do think that every trip should have Aboriginal culture as part of it. I mean, these are, you know, the ancestors, the oldest living culture in the world that go back, you're looking at 60,000 years they've been in Australia. And their whole culture and way of life is so tied in with the landscape that you see, um, including, you know, we've recently seen pop-ups in places like South Australia in Adelaide, where you can try um, sort of modern cuisine, but infused with um, with bush foods. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, they, they were surviving off the landscape and not just surviving, thriving in this landscape. And I think if you if you miss out the Aboriginal heritage of the of the country, you just miss out on really understanding what the whole place is about. Um, yeah. And and you know, people think of going to Uluru and seeing this incredible sort of monolith orange rock, but actually, for me, going there, it was learning about the stories of the uh, indigenous people who lived around the rock and made the um, the face the um, made the paintings on the rock under the overhangs. You know, knew where to go to certain billabongs to get fresh water and to fish, um, and it just made the whole landscape go from being what seemed like desert land in the middle of nowhere with this huge impressive rock to a living landscape mm. um that would be a beautiful place to call home mm. what a wonderful place to get to to air so uluru is airs rock right yeah so yeah. this is what we've seen in australia that they they have been um over time been changing the names from kind of the, the english names to respect the aboriginal heritage so uluru mm. is the traditional name um for as rock and um and it's wonderful it's wonderful to see that and to and again it's just constantly pointing you in that direction of of the history of the place which you know is so it goes back so far compared to uh, european settlement and I, I just find the the names themselves you know mean certain things and you learn about that from uh from the ancestors about why things are called a certain place. And um, yeah, it it just adds a a hugely important dimension to any trip. Mm. Well, Phoebe, thank you so much for joining me, reflecting on this incredible country. I am, oh my gosh, you may be even more inspired to visit now. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us. And I hope everyone is as inspired as I am to visit Australia. Oh, thanks, Ali. (laughs) 
Well, there we go. Awesome, Australia. Don't forget that all the destinations mentioned in today's episode I've listed out in the podcast show notes. And for more information about Australia, I'd suggest heading over to australia.com. That's the tourist board website. And it has just heaps of information about all the different regions mentioned today. Also check out the travel pages of all the national newspapers and travel magazines. They have great destination guides online, which are generally really helpful with recommendations and new openings. You've actually asked for more destination specials, so I'll be back with one more in a couple of weeks. And then season five kicks off shortly after that. Gosh, that's come around quickly. So I'll be back very soon. In the meantime, take care and safe travels. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. 